next uh, speaker um, who we'll be hearing from is a system leader. Um, so we're hearing from Katie Hare, who is the Director General of Education within the ACT. So having that role of system leadership to really be exploring the impact of decision-making and policy construction across the schools within the ACT is incredibly important. Katie is currently also involved in leading the reforms that are the future of education reforms uh, within the ACT, uh, highly significant innovations at a time of huge transformation for us all. So we look forward to learning from you. Thank you very much, Katie. Thank you so much, Anne, and I'd like to join with Anne in acknowledging uh, the traditional owners of the lands that we're all meeting on, and I'm on not the land of the Ngunnawal people today in um, the ACT, where it is a beautiful day, and um, it's wonderful to join you at this virtual conference. I would also like to say what a privilege it is to be sharing this session um, with Andy and also Denise and Lucy and um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share, I guess, uh, a, a small ref a reflection from a small system um, that, however, might have some resonance for uh, some of the bigger system issues that are being explored by this conference. So I want to reflect with you today on the potential of the current disruption through COVID to be a positive for the education of children and young people and to talk to you about what we have experienced in the ACT and think about uh, what elements of that might be, trans might be transferable and what it might teach us about the potential for disruption leading to long-term change. So, and I also say this knowing that the experience of COVID-19 is different across Australia and it's also very specific here in the ACT where we are a very small system. In, on one measure, we are the smallest system in Australia on the measure of the number of schools. And so when I was thinking about how I would uh, share with you what we did in the ACT and consider what uh, from what we did, what might be transferable or what might, what it might tell us about uh, more systemic issues. I set myself a bit of a, a thought experiment um, to test uh, between what is, could only happen in the ACT and what might be more transferable and relevant. And just as one example, I guess the, the fact that we were able to use our colleagues in the emergency services uh, agency to courier laptops to all the children in the ACT in grades four to six who didn't have a laptop, I guess I'd have to put that in the only in the ACT basket. Um, and I, that is one of the examples of the, the privilege we have of being uh, geographically limited um, with a, a small number of schools. But I hope that there's some other things that you'll find are more uh, generalizable and might speak to your, your experiences as well. I also uh, just wanted to say, I. I think we all know it's too early for us to be definitive about the impact of COVID-19 on education because we're still in the middle of the pandemic and we will be for some time to come. And at best, I guess, my reflections today can be described as work in progress observations as we're reaching what I think the most optimistic um, description of where we're at at the moment is the end of the beginning we're not at the end of anything yet, unfortunately. 
It's kind of relevant to the the slide that I was struggling to put up for you, um, which sums up a feeling that I've had a number of times and I imagine many of you have as well. We are in the middle of a major historical event. Sometimes it doesn't help to know that. Um, and um, uh, as Andy said in his preceding presentation, um, it does feel like a long and thorny tunnel. So just to talk a little bit about the scale, um, in August 2020, two, uh, six weeks ago, the UN reported that the COVID-19 pandemic has created the largest disruption of education systems in history, affecting nearly 1.6 billion learners in more than 190 countries and all continents. Closures of schools and other learning spaces have impacted 94% of the world's student population, up to 99% in low and middle income countries. Um, and I know that that's something that's been talked about elsewhere at the conference. This is a massive, massive event for the world and it's having a huge impact on education. Here in Australia, uh, we've had uh, the impact on education has been the topic of much discussion. Um, and with the uh, length of closures being different here in the ACT, uh, we were closed, uh, we, were, we had remote learning for one of the shorter periods of time uh, reflecting the low levels of uh, infection here. But what we're also seeing now is second waves in other parts of the world, which I guess just goes to uh, confirm my earlier comment that we are at the end of the beginning. And until there's a vaccine, uh, we all know we're not going, the best we can hope for is a COVID normal. So what does that mean for education? If I can go to the next slide. Um, my, um, I know everybody has, who works in education has been avidly uh, reading and thinking about what the implications are for education. I know some number of previous speakers have spoken about this at the conference. I guess um, to state um, the, what appears to be happening is that the literature tends to be dividing into two camps, which I've called COVID deficit and COVID unity. And um, the emerging literature is um, both important for us to think about what are the opportunities and also what are the risks of and the uh, lessons that we can learn from the current situation. I guess today my reflections fit much more into the COVID-tunities discourse, but I am aware, as I know all of you are, and as Andy reminded us, that the COVID has laid bare around the world some of the issues around access to uh, digital, di the digital divide, the impact on disadvantaged cohorts and the impact on disadvantaged students. I'll just go to the next slide, please. So I've talked a little bit about being in the ACT, which is the education system with the smallest number of schools, though not the smallest number of students in Australia. It's also the youngest in Australia. The quote on the slide that you're looking at is from its founder, Hedley Bear, who was a great educational thinker who also had a big impact on Commonwealth education policy and on the Northern Territory. And it was his vision to establish a modern and progressive system in the ACT. And one of my wonderings is whether that uh, recent and uh, modern uh, history of the ACT education system is one of the reasons that it seems that we have a little bit of innovation in the DNA of the ACT school system. And 
I'm about to talk to you about some of those things that came out, some of the innovations that came out through the challenges we experienced. I'll go to the next slide, please. From the beginning of the crisis, the COVID crisis in the ACT, we were driven by the words that, that have echoed around the world from many of the thinkers here at the conference, um, Mary Jean Gallagher, uh, uh, Michael Fullan, uh, John Hattie and others who talked about the importance of putting wellbeing first so that the learning could follow. And I think that that was also part of um, what we heard from Denise and Lucy just earlier. So drawing from that strong moral purpose that learning must continue despite the circumstances of the pandemic, we followed that advice that the learning would and could only occur if children and staff felt safe. And so wellbeing and safety was at the centre of our approach. And this drew on our existing foundations, which were around student, putting students at the centre, empowering our learning professionals, building strong communities and having strong systems. I'll talk briefly about what the practicalities of what Maslow before Bloom meant for us here in the ACT. And I guess one example of that was that um, the team in our um, education support office quickly pivoted our existing psychologists in schools program into establishing a telehealth support program for students and also to support teachers and school leaders. And so within a matter of a couple of weeks, an extraordinarily short time, we had an established telehealth support for our students and teachers. We were also deeply conscious of the equity issues and made a number of key decisions, uh, keeping our specialist schools open for children, students with disabilities and also encouraging students with disabilities to attend at mainstream schools. We also provided internet access uh, devices and also uh, dongles with access to hundreds of families who had no Wi-Fi. And I know that happened in other parts of Australia as well. But going back to that Maslow before Bloom and thinking about staff health and safety as well, we took a number of decisions to put the wellbeing and safety of our staff high on the agenda, including providing support to casual staff, job security to temporary staff, in increasing uh, the cleanliness and safety of our schools with uh, a massive increase in the number of cleaners and supporting teachers to work from home if they needed to. And working with our teachers as well, noting the, the incredible challenge of pivoting from teaching in the classroom to teaching remotely, we provided professional learning to each and every one of our teachers. Again, I'd put that in the only in the ACT basket, I think. Um, uh, each, each and every one of our teachers had the opportunity to undertake professional learning on digital pedagogy. And... Most, one of the most important aspects was also recognising and supporting the role of school leaders and drawing on the research of Carol Much, who uh, looked at the uh, Christchurch, uh, the impact in Christchurch and her focus that school leaders become leaders for the community at a time of crisis. And so part of our emphasis was on providing support to those school leaders, including through, again, maybe and only in the ACT uh, innovation of having a daily 
teleconference with each of our with our school leaders and also establishing a rapid response line. I'll go to the next slide, please. We've been working now since school has gone back to on-campus learning on a, number, a couple of evaluation exercises to see what we can learn and what we can take out of the experience earlier in the year. One is a fast um, post-lockdown survey with 25% of our schools, and the other is a deeper process with around 12% of our schools working with Professor Helen Timpley. From the inquiry with Helen Timpley, we've found four things that the disruption was a catalyst for changes in pedagogical approaches, opportunities to strengthen teacher collaboration, strengthening student wellbeing and engagement, and strengthening school and community partnerships. In terms of changes to pedagogy, at least four separate schools that I've visited most recently, but I know there's many more, have changed the way their students learn, moving to the flipped classrooms model or student-led timetables on the basis of feedback they, their schools got when they returned from the remote learning period. And numerous schools have commented favourably and are now working to embed a much greater level of collaboration and uh, connection between their teachers and across the school. Um, I'll flip to the next slide. I had two case studies to share, but I think my technology issue might have taken that opportunity away. But I also wanted just to share with you that as well as talking to teachers and principals, we've also been talking to students to ask them about their experience. And there's a couple of quotes on the slide. But I think one of the things that we've all learned is that um, the experience Gave, us, gave students the opportunity to reflect more on their learning, as well as giving teachers and school leaders the opportunity to reflect on learning. And that's what we heard from students uh, when they came back to face-to-face -to -face learning. And while there were things that um, didn't work as well for some students, many of them found the opportunity to be responsible for their own learning uh, to be one of the great benefits. I'll go to the next slide. So to summarise some of the positive changes we've seen, teachers working together and collaborating, children being more conscious of their learning, teachers adapting to children's feedback about their learning, closer interaction with parents and parent understanding of the way their children learn and engagement with the school and the importance of the enablers of equity and inclusion. So I guess this fits right into that COVID-tunity side of the, the COVID discourse the power of disruption to make significant and lasting change. It also showed us something that I think other speakers have reflected on, that the ability to make change fast, uh, maybe faster than we thought was possible, is something that we need to think about and reflect on consciously. How can we harness the power of disruption and how can we have that the speed of change when it is for the benefit for that moral purpose of children learning. School leaders, many school leaders have commented to me that while the demands of the remote learning period were not easy, they were made easier by the clarity of purpose with which we acted and that they were able to act. So how can we harness that clarity of moral purpose and the harnessing of disruption to make change uh, for the future of our education system. 
And so go to the, going to the final slide, I think that there are some really positive things to build on both within schools and outside of the school gate that can impact on our education systems for the long term. I've talked about the ones within the school gate a couple of times, the increased teacher collaboration, the increase in student agency, the the use of new pedagogies which harness student agency and uh, maximise uh, personalisation of learning. But outside of the school gate as well, I think with the focus on education during the pandemic, we've seen families and communities much more able to be engaged with their schools in many cases. We've also seen the value of education and the status of the teaching profession being a much stronger part of the discourse across, across Australia and possibly across the world. We are in an, a unique position where the importance of education has never been clearer. And I think that could give us the opportunity to take the what we've learnt from this disrupted period into some long-term permanent changes for the better of education. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Katie. Um, so really, so many of the stories you're telling and the responses that you've had in the ACT, I think are bringing us back to that first fundamental question that everyone asks when confronted with a change, which is, put simply, why bother? Why engage in this reform? And as we've discussed at the conference, we've all really been thrown into um, what has been described, I think, by Michael Fullen as a, a unique global experiment. Um, and I want to thank you for adding another word to my ISO dictionary, my COVID dictionary. So I love the term COVID-unity. So I'm going to put that there as my professional term that can exist alongside other social terms like uh, the quarantini. Um, <laughs> but uh, when we're thinking about it, there's been an opportunity or an imperative for change. That's been a really tight and immediate uh, drive for teacher engagement and for school leadership engagement. Do you think these innovations that have been occurring are likely to stick? And if they are likely to stick, what would be the important element that would be making them stick? Uh, yeah, and I think that is one of the most important questions that we have to ask ourselves as we reflect on this period. And I think we know from kind of change literature and, and educational change literature that, that um, innovations will only stick um, if we embed them appropriately and if we reflect on them and um, consciously work to um, make them the new normal, which is, of which is one of the other constant phrases at the moment, isn't it? Um, so I don't take that for granted at all. I think part of what we have to do as, um, as system leaders and as um, educational leaders is really actively reflect and then consciously embed the changes we want to keep. And that's so that example that I gave of um, the flipped classrooms uh, is one that I know a number of schools here are doing, and I'm sure across Australia. Um, I think that um, we're going to need to reflect and go, you know, go through the cycle, uh, and before those kind of practices are embedded, there's always that very human desire to go back to the way things were before, and to do anything other than that, I think we have to be really conscious. 
Great. Well, thanks so much for that, Katie. And Katie, thank you to you and also to Andy uh, for your input and sharing your thoughts with us in relation to the situation we're in and, and the desires that we have for a better future. Uh, I think we all know that as educational leaders, the things that make the greatest difference are what we know, what we understand, uh, what we care about, and also what we choose to act upon. So I thank you for your input and, and driving us to actually be making some changes strongly for the future.